In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Today we begin our sermon series. Ben's going to say more about living the sacramental life to disrupt the secular heresy next week. But suffice it to say, for at least 400 years, if not more, we have lived under the illusion that reality can be separated into sacred and secular. We live here, God lives up there. Out there, up there, out there. Church, Bible, K-love are spiritual. Jobs, mortgages, lawn care, secular. The church, having bought into this split, this bifurcation, has found itself thoroughly secularized. We offer spiritual tokens to hopefully dance and cut ourselves to get God's attention to show up and do something. But at the table, we are committed to recovering a sacramental view of reality, meaning there is no split. That modernity isn't next to godliness. That God is present in all things, that our spiritual life is the very life we lead day to day, minute by minute, shower to shower. So today then, our first axiom, the first reality we're going to talk about is that the goal of our life is divine union, is oneness with God. St. Paul, in Ephesians chapter three, prays this. He says, I ask the Father will strengthen you in your inner selves from the rich of his, of his glory through his spirit. I ask that the Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is that love. I'll ask that you know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Today we proclaim the good news, friends, that the gift, the grounding, the goal of the Christian life, the gift that inaugurates the grounding that sustains and the goal to which we move of the Christian life is love. It's union with Christ in God. This love is full of grace and truth. It's the solution to our greatest problem and is known by being filled with the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, will you consent to that love today? Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, probably top 10, but is a movie that uh, is really sharply divides people. So this may be your last Sunday here, uh, once you hear this, is the 2004 movie, Dude, Where's My Car? No, it's the movie, um, The Village, by M. Night Shyamalan. Now, it's 15 years old. I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it, so um, also this, you may leave because of that too. 15 years, though. You've had 15 years. The village, the premise is this. There's an Amish-style community, 18th, 19th century community that lives cut off from the outside world um, by woods. Has anybody seen this movie? Okay. And there is this uh, border around their community of watchtowers. And we find out very early in the movie that um, in the woods there be, there be monsters. 
And so they order their community to keep the monsters out. So they stay away from the color red. That's the bad color. They wear the color yellow. That's the good color. They keep uh, uh, lanterns lit and watchtower, people in watchtowers around the border of the prairie looking in, into the woods at night so that they can sound an alarm if the monsters come in. They don't go into the woods and there's an uneasy truce, truce with the creatures that if they stay out of the woods, the creatures will stay out of the village. The promise of the village is this. If you stay within the boundaries, you'll be safe. If you follow the rules, then the scariest of scaries won't touch you. Death and destruction can be mitigated and managed by appropriate boundaries. Fear is sovereign in the village. And fear functions to keep us safely, keep us safe, and to keep us away from crossing the line. Can anyone relate to this and maybe like their life. Um, uh, one of the reasons why I love this movie so much is it, it's a parable about our human existence. We live in a world that has all kinds of promises and goals for us, for safety. In the church, often that looks like, much like it looks in, in the village, keeping rules keeping away from lines, having boundaries, not wearing bad colors. Maybe that doesn't equate. <laughs> not wearing bad clothes, maybe. But the goal, friends, of our Christian life isn't to stay away, to stay out of the woods. It's not to stay away from bad stuff. It's not to follow all the rules to keep the monsters out. The goal isn't safety. The goal isn't certitude. The goal isn't perfection or morality. The goal isn't protection. The goal isn't power, political power. Today we proclaim the good news that the, the grounding and the goal and the gift of our Christian life is love. And there's not enough fear to produce love. But perfect love casts out fear. This love is full of grace and truth and it is the solution. It is God's answer to our greatest problem, which is sin. Let's look at our text from Ephesians chapter 3 today. Um, Paul here is praying for believers. He's just told them that this incredible uh, gospel, this good news about the reconciliation of two ethnic groups, two groups of people that have enmity with each other, that have divisions and rivalries and factions and separations. He's just said that the cross of Jesus creates one humanity out of two making peace. And he calls this a mystery. He says, but it's been hidden for ages. And he said, it's the church, being the church, that declares the gospel to the principalities and powers, which for Paul are, are uh, boy, this, I don't have time to mention this quickly, but I'm going to try anyway, are the fallen angelic beings that um, are behind all the political and, and social powers. He's saying that the church, in its reconciled 
together, its oneness, its unity, is a symbol and a declaration to the cosmos that God's gospel is true and glorious. And then he gets to this prayer that Carlo read for us today. And Paul uh, asks for a gift for them, that they can know this love that surpasses knowledge to be filled with all the fullness of God. So notice that love is a gift. It's a gift. It's given, and he equates love with being filled with God. Uh, This is full of, I want to suggest, grace and truth. Our gospel reading today talked about how Jesus came full of grace and truth. Love is not being nice. It's not uh, about hormones. It's not sentimental wishes on a few holidays every year, but love is the very fullness of God. It's God's essence, God's being. God doesn't have love as an attribute. God is love, and his attributes flow from that. So the most terrifyingly gentle, tenderly fierce dynamic in the universe is God's love. Full of grace and truth. Grace being the gift of God giving himself. The gift of God giving himself. We talked about this in our class, but uh, grace is so much more than getting what you don't deserve. (laughs) It's so much more than getting what you don't deserve. It's getting the very life of God himself. Grace is relational, relational invitation into the life of the Trinity. And truth is uh, understanding reality from God's point of view. It's this, it's this uh, agency and authority and empowerment to live in the kingdom. So love is about connecting with us and calling us in to kingdom life. Love empowers us and engages us. It's full of compassion and commission. It's a gift. It's a gift. Today, friends, the good news is that this gift of the Christian life is love. It's full of grace and truth, and it is the solution to our greatest problem, which is sin. It's known by being filled with all the fullness of God. Will you consent to this love, this gift today? Paul also says it's the grounding. It is the thing that we stand on. So uh, love isn't transactional, friends. You don't get love instead of punishment. There, there isn't, this isn't like a, you deposit money in an account and it shows up on, on, online. It, it's not like you, there, there's really bad metaphors where we think about love as something impersonal and something abstract. Our greatest problem, friends, is solved by love. In, in the Christian journey, we have um, lots, of things that, lots of things that either Im, are implied or explicitly stated as our greatest problem. Um, I was taught when I became a Christian that my greatest problem was a debt I could not pay. That I had, my sin had a created uh, a debt that was unpayable by me. And that what I needed 
what I needed was somebody to balance, to pay my debt so that I could be brought back to God. This debt was created by my disobedience. I was born into it, but I also participated in it. I perpetuated it through choices. And so Jesus pays that debt. Uh, This is true. All this is true, insofar as it goes. But uh, if we lose the understanding that love is the solution to our greatest problem, uh, nothing I just described needs love. (laughs) Do you see that? Nothing I the story I just told, the story I actually came to faith in, did not need love to function. We heard from Genesis 3 today how God responds to the first uh, sin of humanity. And he comes uh, not talking about a debt. He comes not asking who violated my holy laws. He comes asking where people went. Where are you? Where are you? And later in that story, he kicks them out of the garden. Remember this? Some of you maybe heard the story before. He, they, he, he kicks them out of the garden. And the rationale we're told isn't, isn't, now that they violated my holy laws, they have to be punished. It's, now that they're separated from me and living in sin, I don't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever like that. Y'all, God saves Adam and Eve from hell in Genesis 3. He doesn't punish them for their sins in Genesis 3. Because God is love. And that's what love does. So sin, then, friends, there's a lot of metaphors used for it, but our greatest problem isn't the fact that we can't live up to a law. Our greatest problem is that we have given ourselves over to death and sin and destruction. We have an ontological, a being problem. We are actually, it's like, it's like, it's like if you take a plant and you pull it out of light and life, you pull it out of soil and you hide it from light. This is using John 1 language here. What happens to the plant? Well, it decays and dies, doesn't it? The plant's problem is that it's separated from light, sun, and life, soil, nutrients, water. What does that plant need? It needs to be reconnected to light and life. That's what we need. And that's what Jesus does for us. So if we start with the wrong problem, we'll get to the wrong solution. If we start with the right problem, then the cross makes sense and love makes sense. God gives his very life to us as medicine for our sickness, healing for our brokenness, redemption out of our slavery, victory over our defeat, and resurrection in our death. He was the light, and that light was a life for all men. That's what love does, is it takes the plant that has uprooted itself out of light and life 
and casts itself into death and destruction. First of all, it says, okay, I don't want you to live forever like that, so I'm going to cut you off from living forever like that, and then I'm going to work hundreds and hundreds of years to replant you and nourish you so that you can be filled with all the fullness of light and life. Today, friends, we proclaim the good news that that is the grounding of our Christian life. It's love. It's the soil. It's where we get our light and life from. And this, this grace and truth, is the solution to our problem. Death and decay and destruction. God gives his very life to us so that salvation is being filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, will you consent to that today? Will you say yes to the light and life of God today? Finally, it's the goal, friends. You see these, they all start with G. So they're 10% more true that way. It's the gift and the grounding and the goal. The goal of our Christian life is to be filled with the fullness of God, to become one with Christ and each other. Love is the goal of all humanity. This is what we're heading to. This is what Jesus prays for in John 17, that we would experience this oneness. Paul links the, the togetherness of the church in Ephesians 3 with being filled with all the fullness of God to know how high and wide and deep and long it is that it's inconceivable, he says, but there's a way to know it that transcends or surpasses understanding. Love surpasses knowledge, so it can't be contained by it. This is a, a false religious goal that we run into in churches. The, the goal of the Christian life isn't love. The goal of the Christian life is knowledge. That's why you come. You come to hear the preacher give you knowledge because your knowledge is what you need to fix your problem, which is fill in the blank. Here's seven steps to your best life now. Here's 12 ways to have the marriage that'll make your neighbor jealous. Our fundamental problem isn't that we're stupid or ignorant, friends. It's that we're uprooted out of the light and life that sustains us. Another false goal, if it's not knowledge uh, or, or cognitive certitude or correct thinking, then it, maybe it's, it's uh, moral perfection or behavior. The goal is to stop sinning so much. Right? Stop all that online shopping. Stop gossiping about your friends. I know some of you played poker this week. Some of you turned on the music, and you may not have been dancing, but you started to use your hips a bit, and that leads, that's a slippery slope to dancing. First thing's that's your hips, and then it's going to be your feet, and next thing you know, it's Patrick Swayze at a camp. Friends, there's so many goals that are sub-Christian in the Christian life. Beliefs and behavior are two of them. But what Paul does here is he reorients the goal away from things that are good. It matters what you think. It actually matters what you do. And he says, if, if you're filled with all the fullness of God, if you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints how high, wide, deep, and long is the love of God, then guess what? You're transformed. <laughs> you're replanted in the light and life of God. You actually know the thing that transcends knowledge. And you're filled with all the fullness of God. You actually, actually morality and virtue springs from love. This is what Paul says. This is the good news today, friends. That the gift grounding and goal of the Christian life 
It isn't some transaction. It's not some impersonal abstract debt payment. It's, it's love. You, God is working in, out our salvation to replant us in the light and life of his very triune essence together. This, full of grace and truth, is a solution for our problem, our illness, our sickness of death and decay and destruction. This is good news. Will you consent to that love today? So as the movie The Village goes on, we find out that this village, it's called Covington, came about as an idea by Edward Walker, who is one of the elders who runs the village. After his father was murdered by a business partner, Edward joined a support group for others who had lost their loved ones to violence. You see, this isn't an 18th century village. It's a present-day village. Walker was a history professor at a local university, and he had an idea to start a small, isolated village to insulate the members of the group from further harm and loss and pain. Walker's father was wealthy, and so he gave Edward money, and he bought this wildlife preserve called the Walker Wildlife Preserve. And a large wall surrounds the preserve and precautions are made to keep airplanes from flying overhead and to keep up the illusion that the village is a rural, rustic place. But death and decay and destruction still find their way into the village. Edward realizes and finds out he can't separate himself from suffering. One of the town's elders loses his son to an untreatable disease. Death won't play by their rules. Lucius, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is a young man in the village who wants to save other lives by going out of the village to get medicines from the outside towns. And the elders of the village say no. They say no. He and a young woman in the village, Ivy, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, they take a shining to each other. That's how they say it in the 19th century. They like each other. And there's a mentally challenged young boy named Noah, played by Adrian Brody, who also has a crush on Ivy. So now we have a love triangle inside this perfect village. There's a beautiful uh, picture in, this, in the place where fear reigns because of death and destruction and trying to insulate for more death and destruction. There's this beautiful scene where the sirens go off and the monsters are coming and everyone's freaking out and they're hiding under floorboards and Ivy, who is blind, she decides that she would rather not hide from things that scare her, but she'd rather go towards someone she loves. And there's this beautiful picture of, of her leaving her hiding place in her house opening the front door and walking out on the front porch and her family is yelling at her and telling her to get back and stay safe and she says, no, I know Lucius will come for me. She holds her hand out. So you see in the middle of this death and destruction and decay, one person who's decided to trust love to keep her safe. And at the last minute, Lucius just runs and grabs her hand right as a monster's about to get her. It's this beautiful scene. What ends up happening is Lucius gets tragically injured by the Adrian Brody character who is jealous, and he's going to die. 
And Ivy says, okay, now, now we need to go get some medicines from the towns. And so this blind girl sets out to walk through the woods to go get medicine to save the man she loves. These two guys come with her to protect her and they leave after 12 hours. <laughs> Typical dudes. <laughs> and uh, and she, she gets the medicines and she comes back and the last scene is uh, her holding Lucius's hand. And there's this great ambiguity about whether he's going to live or not. But that's not the point. The point is, is that two people in this village of fear have decided to trust love rather than fear. And even on his deathbed, there's life there and light. Friends, where do you live under the tyranny and bondage of fear and death and decay? Where have you believed that God actually uses fear and guilt and shame and tyranny? Where, do you, where have you believed that God is more like the elders of the village than the God revealed in Jesus? Today, friends, we proclaim the good news, that the goal and grounding and the gift of our Christian life is love. This love is full of grace and truth. It's seen and revealed and embodied in Jesus. If God is love and Jesus is God, then Jesus is love. And it's the solution to our greatest problem. And it is known by being filled with all the fullness of God. Will you consent to that love today? Friends, we uh, typically respond in prayer, uh, personal prayer, to our good news proclamation. And we're gonna be led in prayer by Spencer here in a moment to pray for our world and our community and our church. But one of the reasons we want to do this sermon series is because our entire worship service is a consenting and a surrendering to love. We aren't trying to get back that loving. We're not trying to trump up some feeling or emotion for God. We're not trying to like get God to do something for us. But the reason why we do a confession of sin and pass the peace and give an offering and come receive the Eucharist and go for healing prayer and sing is because God is gifting us and grounding us and pointing us towards the goal of his love. And these are the ways we say yes. They're simply the way we consent to it. So if you don't know how to say yes to love today, try this. Try getting in touch with, do I feel like praying right now? <laughs> do I feel like going for healing prayer today? Do I feel like taking the Eucharist? And then just deciding, I can say yes to love here. I consent to the God revealed in Jesus right here. Amen.